So you get me tonight because Jeff is away in Kansas City devoting some time to write a book about his story. And he needed to isolate himself to write a book about his story. And he has a pretty cool story to tell. For those of you that may or may not be interested, it was about four years ago, just almost right at four years ago, that he and I sat across from each other and said yes to the Lord to bridge and build a church composed of fundamental Baptist and Pentecostals, that we're going to bring them together and we're going to co-pastor a group of people, um, that we're going to throw them all in the room together. Here's a bunch of Pentecostals and Baptists, and we're just going to see where God's going to lead this, this crazy thing. That was just like only four years ago that we looked at each other across an end table, realized this is what God was, was asking us to do, and we said yes, and man, the last four years have been quite a ride to say the least. So it, is, it has been fun, and then about a year and a half later, the Lord speaks to, to us, Billy, at the, at, the, at the house of prayer, and realizing he, he wasn't done with the wedding ceremonies yet. He was, he was bringing us all together. So pretty, so cool what God is doing. Why? Because, man, Jesus wants a bride together, unified, pursuing him above all things. That's what all this is about, and it's pretty cool being a part of the story. Everybody doing good tonight? All right, so we are going to launch into a subject. As you know, Jeff is preaching through the life of David, so I'm not going to jump in on David, but we like to do this about every year, is devote just a specific time where we talk about specifically the gifts of the Spirit, specifically the gift of speaking in tongues. This is a subject that a lot in the church try to stay away from and to avoid because it's just a little too controversial, so we're not gonna we're not gonna step in it. Well, we are gonna step in it tonight. Is that okay? We're gonna step in it tonight, and uh, we're gonna go through this. And uh, let me just, uh, out of curiosity about who is in the room tonight, there are probably three kinds of people in the room tonight. I'd be curious who you are. Number one, how many of you were raised in a church tradition where you were taught? against it. I mean, actually against the gift of speaking. Put your hand real good. You actually taught against it. Hands up. Look at that. Quite a few hands. All right. How many of you were raised in a church situation where it was, it was promoted and encouraged and maybe even expected? Put your hands up real quick. All right. How many of you were raised in a church that was just never talked about or never addressed? You just knew it was there. Okay. So great, we got a great cross-section of folks and some neat, and some neat um, perspective on the gift of speaking in tongues. For, b- before we start, so my, my plan tonight is to go through a few things with us and to have a time at the end of questions and answers, some Q&A as it relates to the gift of speaking in tongues. Not that I have all the answers, but I will attempt some answers I'll, or I'll make up something along the way and hopefully we'll... Will I, will I get through it? I am not the Bible answer man by any stretch, but um, I've been in this thing for a few years and, uh, and, and had some experience, and maybe it'll be of help as we, as we um, have time of questions and answers. So if you have some questions as, as we move through, uh, make a note of them, and then we'll have time at the end so you can kind of write them down so you don't, so you don't forget. It's no fun to have a Q&A when there's no, when there's no cues, right? We need some cues to make the A a little more fun. So my story, uh, let me tell you my story just a little bit. Quickly, my encounter with this particular gift of the Spirit, um, 
I was 12 years old. Uh, my mom and dad were invited to a little Methodist church in Decula, Georgia. My mom worked with a nurse, and this nurse had been inviting her to come to church. So we loaded up one Sunday morning, and we went to this little Methodist church in Decula called Hinton Memorial United Methodist Church. Doesn't that just sound like fun? <laughs> Sounds like more of a funeral home than it does a church. But Hinton Memorial United Methodist Church. So we showed up Sunday morning for Sunday school. We got there in time for Sunday school. Uh, Mom and dad went to their class. I went to my little Sunday school class. And I'm sitting in the room. I'm 12 years old. Nobody shows up, not even the teacher. So I'm sitting there all by myself, nothing going on. And, you know, a 12-year-old boy is going to be curious. So I'm, I'm sitting there, and I hear a lot of commotion going on in the room right next to me. So curiosity gets the best of me. So I get up. I walk out of my room, walk over to the other door, and I, and I open the door and walk in, and man, something was going on in that room that I'd never seen before. Remember, I really never had been in church before, so this is like brand new to me. So I walk in the room, and uh, there was a bunch of people in there praying. There was maybe nine to 12 people in that room, all in a circle, and they're praying. But I mean, they're like praying, praying. I heard multiple things going on, different sounds and languages and this thing. I was like, man, something's going on here. So I just basically sat down and right in the middle of all that. And I, again, I had no grid, no church, no religion. So I was like truly a white canvas. So I just sat there and I knew I felt, man, whatever this is, this feels pretty good, whatever it is. So um, after it was over, there was a man there, he invited me to come back to a prayer meeting on that upcoming Thursday. They met every, every night on Thursday nights. So I show back up on the, on the upcoming Thursday, 12 o'clock, mom and dad were gracious enough to let him pick me up to go to, go to, this, go to this church. So back to Hinton Memorial and we went in, into the, in the little room called the parlor. Anybody ever grew up at a church that had a parlor? This was a, it was a parlor. So it wasn't a massage parlor or, anything, or a smoking parlor. It was just a, just a parlor. So I remember going into this parlor and we're all sitting around. And eventually the same thing begins to happen. They begin to pray. People begin to get energized. There's praying with power and all this. And this was great. And, and halfway through the prayer meeting, this man got me and took me out into the sanctuary. And we sat on a pew. And he explained to me salvation. And that's where I got saved. Right there. He led me to the Lord. Super excited. You know, I knew something had transformed. I mean, I, I, I felt, I knew I was born again. There was a moment I knew. Um, one week goes by, go back to the same prayer meeting. This time we're meeting in somebody else's home. And I remember I was sitting on this, on this white sofa. It looked like it was a white plastic sofa thing. And I'm sitting there and these two ladies walk up to me and they, and they asked me this simple question. Do you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Now, understand, I've only been saved one week. I'm 12 years old. I have no vocabulary for any of this stuff. So it's so liberating when God gets a hold of the life of a kid, you know, because you, you don't have all the roadblocks and hindrances. So I just said, yeah, I guess, sure. So this was, this, were, this was the instructions that they gave me. They said, just lift up your hands and ask Jesus to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And then you just begin to pray, but don't pray in English. And so I was lifting my hands up, and I remember looking at him kind of cockeyed, like, then what do you want me to say? <laughs> I remember having that perplexing thought. If I'm not going to pray in English, I don't know what else to pray in. But I remember just, I just okay, whatever. So they began to pray, and I just asked, you, say, Jesus, fill me with the Holy Spirit. And there's an old hymn that's worded like this, heaven came down, and what? Glory filled my soul. 
right? So sitting on that ugly white sofa, the Holy Spirit encountered me in such a profound way. I'm sitting there just like, oh my goodness. And I heard myself, the first person outside that little prayer meeting, but really the first person I really ever heard pray in tongues was really me. You know, so I'm, I'm hearing myself pray in the spirit. And I'm just praying and it's just this overwhelming sense of the love and the power of God that was hitting this 12-year-old kid. Now, how many of you know that will, that, will, that, will, that will change your life? Now, from that moment on, set a very clear trajectory for my life, right? And that began a journey of, as I mentioned earlier, 34 years of being in and all kinds of situations and experiences as it relates to the gifts and the Spirit. The first probably five to ten years of my Christian walk, if there was a fringe, we were on it. If there was a chandelier, we were swinging on it, right? We were just, man, it was just all things. We were like kids in the candy shop going after all this stuff. And I was with basically this pot of people, and we were going to all these things all the time. It was just, it was just crazy, you know, crazy stuff. So I have, I will tell you, I have, I have seen a lot. I have experienced a lot. I have seen the good and the bad and the ugly, all right? There's some bad and the ugly, but we don't want don't to throw the baby out with the bathwater. So that's, that's kind of, you know, my story. So you get sort of my perspective as, as we walk into this particular subject. But, be, but before we dive into tongues, we want to take just a moment and talk about a broader subject called the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not going to hit them all tonight. There's no possible way. But how many of you know the gifts of the Spirit are a benefit to us? Psalm 103, verses 1 through 2. And let me tell you this real quick. Uh, we don't have notes for you tonight because it's going to be kind of conversational. If you want all these notes, I'm happy to email them to you. You can email me at dustin at mynewbridge.church, and I'll be glad to email them to you if you like them. But the, gifts of the, but the gifts of the Spirit are a great benefit. Psalm 103, 1, you know this. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all my innermost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits right? Forget not all of his benefits. There are benefits serving the Lord. And we're advised in this psalm, don't forget the benefits. Don't forget the benefits. Yes, we are saved. Yes, we are born again. That is the greatest thing of all. But there are a lot of fringe benefits that come with walking with Jesus. And one of the benefits are the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are operative inside of us through the Holy Spirit. And we don't want to forget these things. Sadly, large quadrants of the body of Christ have kind of marginalized or forgot them or not accessing them or acknowledging them. And you're robbing yourself of one of the greatest benefits in this reality, experiencing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I would go far to say this, that, that spiritual gifts are vital in us fulfilling the call of God on our life. Do you believe you're called? We're called to do something. We're not called to sit around and do nothing. We're called to do something, right? We're called to go out and do something. Acts 1.8 says, but we shall receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So we know the word power comes from the Greek word dunamis. By the word, we get the, we get the word dynamite from that. So when the Holy Spirit comes, he brings power into our life to manifest through us. The Apostle Paul would reference this power in 1 Corinthians 2, 
when he says, my message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of what? The Spirit's power, the Spirit's dunamis. How many of you know that a lot of the church world is called up in persuasive words, man's oratory, man's good ideas, but what does it lack? Oftentimes power. Paul understood this because he is writing the letter. Because when you, when, you, when you track the book of Acts and you track the life of Paul, you find out that in Acts chapter 17, Paul went to Athens. Remember Athens, Greece? Right? Remember, he went to Athens, and as he's going to reason with the philosophers of the day, he begins to reason with them. And remember, remember the story, right? He, he's, he sees an altar to an unknown God, and he, and he goes and begins to reason with the Epicureans and, the, and the, those, in the, those in the Socratic schools. And, and he begins to tell them, I see you are a deeply religious people, and I see you have an altar to an unknown God. Let me tell you who it is. And, and he begins to use his skill, his skill, to preach to them. Can I tell you, very few people were saved in Athens. A church was not even established in Athens. So when Paul goes to Corinth after he leaves Athens, he just learned a valuable lesson. Because he tried the eloquence and tried the man's wisdom, but it didn't carry very far in Athens. So by the time it gets to Corinth, he's learned something. He said, no, I'm not going to come to you with persuasive words of man's wisdom, but I'm going to come to you in, in weakness and fear and trembling, not claiming to know anything, but in Jesus Christ and him crucified in the demonstration of the Spirit's power. See, that's what we need to have. We need to have a manifestation of the Spirit's power. We've gotten good at preaching. We've gotten good at teaching. We've gotten good at our lingos. We've gotten good at our service. We've gotten good at our music. We've got our buildings down. We've got our services ironed. I mean, it's all perfect, but oftentimes it's lacking what? The power of God. So we need to begin to ask ourselves, why? Why, Lord, if these gifts are available to us, where are they and why are not we seeing them? They're essential for us today. I like Mark chapter 16. It's Mark's version, Mark's account of the Great Commission. We typically go to Matthew 28 because that's a safer one to quote because it doesn't get into anything controversial. But Mark, Mark's gospel in the synoptic gospels is the earliest of the gospel. And this is how he communicates the Great Commission. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Look at this. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. I like Mark's version. I like Matthew's version too, but I like the, I think you need to harmonize those things together and realizing these things that he's describing here should be normative in the lives of all believers. We should be casting out devils and healing the sick and speaking with new tongues and walking in divine provision because these signs will accompany those who believe. It means as we are going, they are going with us. This is normative Christian behavior. Now, we find in the Bible there are 28 gifts spoken about in Scripture. They're found in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, Acts 2, 8, 10, and 19 are just a few. Again, if you want the, if you want the notes, Dustin at mynewbridge.church, I'll send them to you. But they're, but they're all throughout. Now, let me ask you just a simple question. Where are these gifts? Where, where are they located? Not trying to trick you. Where are the gifts located? The gifts are located... 
in the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6 helps us to understand that the gifts are in and governed by the Holy Spirit. He's the one who possesses the gifts. He's the one that is inside us. He's the one that moves the gifts through us. That's where the gifts are. Now the question becomes, how do we begin to access the gifts? Now I don't know about you, but I was raised with a great mom and dad who took a lot of care on Christmas morning. I was an only child growing up, and Christmas was a really big deal at our house. And dad's here, he can tell you they could not get me to sleep on Christmas Eve. I was so excited. And I would go to bed, and I would try to go to sleep, but I would, man, I was convinced one, one night, I was, I was in like second grade, I was convinced I heard Rudolph on the roof. I was convinced. It had, it had to be Rudolph, so I just had a hard time going to sleep. But I remember waking up Christmas morning and running into the living room, and all the gifts were all spread out just right there for me. Now, let, let me tell you what, the, what my little second grade self didn't do. I didn't step back and postulate. I wonder which of these gifts are for me. <laughs> there was no other siblings that were coming down the stairs, right? I mean, I, I saw all those gifts, and I never thought for a second, maybe some are for me and some are not for me. Or when do I have access to them? What did I do? You, I did what all of you would have done. Man, you dove into the gifts, Man started opening them up, started playing with them, started enjoying them. See, the, the, the Apostle Paul tells us to earnestly pursue and desire spiritual gifts. He said, I, I want you to go after these. Psalm says, forget none of his benefits. I didn't just lay around in bed leisurely Christmas morning because I knew there were gifts for me and I am going to access those gifts. And I really believe that is what the expectation of the Father is for all of us. I have provided all these gifts for you if you will just go and get them. Go and access them. The gifts were not going to visit me in my bedroom. I had to go get them. I had to unwrap them. I had to open them. I had to figure out how to use them. I had to go through the entire process of the spiritual gifts. I'm convinced that many of us are afraid to go get the gifts the Father has provided for us. We're sitting back thinking, well, I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to be greedy. Maybe these are not for me. And God's like saying, I don't know what else to do for you. I've given them all. They're right here in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's inside of you. Just go get them. But we, but, but we sit back and we don't. And ultimately, we kind of cut our nose off despite ourselves, don't we? This is not a salvation issue. This is, this is a power issue. So we're being invited to pursue all these gifts. Now, one of the gifts that we've gathered here tonight to talk about is the gift of speaking in tongues specifically. 1 Corinthians 12, 10, list these gifts. To another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another discerning between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Now, out of all of the gifts of the Spirit, if you've been around long enough, you probably know this, the gift of tongues is the one with the most controversy surrounding it and most misunderstanding. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Right? I remember um, when my wife and I got married, I worked and put her through school. Then I moved off to go to school, a place called Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee. And um, my, my wife's grandmother on her mom's side um, never really understood wh- what, we, what we were until she came to visit us one day at, 
at school, right? And she was a country, country grandmama, you know? And, and um, the library at Lee University is called the Pentecostal Research Center. The Pentecostal Research Center. And I'll never forget, she was visiting us. We were riding from our house. We were riding through the campus. And I remember looking at her face when she saw the name of the library. She saw Pentecostal Research Center. And she looked at us with this real just, just deer in the headlights, contorted face of just, <gasps> she said, you're not Pentecostals, are you? And I'm like, Yeah. She said, so y'all just, y'all talking gibberish and hold snakes? That's what she really thought, right? Y'all just talking gibberish and, and, and hold snakes? That was her, I mean, that was her entire frame of reference. Because she'd probably seen some Dateline special of the weird churches on Sand Mountain in East Tennessee. And, and that's, what she, that's what she saw when she saw the word Pentecostal. She drew some lines toward that understanding. And her whole understanding about the gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, was basically that. And it was like anathema. Oh, y'all are a bunch of weird people. She was looking in the refrigerator for the Kool-Aid, I know. She was wondering, what are y'all, what are y'all doing? I think there are two reasons there's so much confusion around the gift, probably many, many more. But one is simply this, lack of sound teaching. Lack of sound teaching, right? The Bible goes to great lengths to teach this. In fact, Paul speaks of the gift of tongues more than any other gift of the Spirit. He goes to greater lengths to deal with this gift more so than any other gift, primarily because the gift of tongues is left largely up to our discretion on the usage of it. Therefore, it requires more explanation, right? So Paul is going to great lengths to do this. And when you read the Bible, you got to like read it from the standpoint, you know, we, like we say, if the plain sense makes sense, don't look for any other sense or you're probably going to end up with nonsense. So think about it that, that we've all been influenced dramatically by who got to us first, right? So sometimes we got to unlearn something before we can learn something. Now, we all drive cars probably. Sometimes you have to go in reverse before you can go forward. We practice this all the time. If you pull into a parking lot, before you can go forward, you got to reverse back out sometimes. So sometimes we got to say, Lord, I need to reverse some things so I can learn afresh what you're saying from God's Word. Lack of sound teaching. The other reason I believe is this, Satan's influence to discredit something wonderful. Satan loves to discredit wonderful things that God does. He loves the bathwater. He wants to get so much bathwater around the baby, we end up throwing the bathwater out and out goes the baby with it. The enemy is good at creating lots of dirty bath water. You know what I'm talking about. And we're good oftentimes, oh, that's all nasty, so we're going to throw it all out. So we, wanna, we don't want to let the enemy steal from us. If we know the assignment of the enemy in John 10 is to kill, steal, and destroy, well, what is he trying to kill, what is he trying to steal, and what is he trying to destroy? What, one of the great objectives of the enemy would be to steal you moving and flowing and operating in the gifts of the Spirit. He would love to steal that from all of us. He understands that he's already lost our eternal soul. The next best thing he can do is to minimize our impact in the kingdom of God in the here and now. So don't think the enemy is just asleep on the job. He's good at what he does. He's been doing it for a long time. He's, been, he's, a, he's a great student of human behavior. 
and he knows you, and he knows me, and he can anticipate how to hit us strongly. Now, let's deal with a, just, a, just a few thoughts here. One, not everyone will speak in tongues, because you will hear this from people sometimes that doesn't believe in what well, does the Bible say? Not, not everyone will speak in tongues. Well, that's true. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 says this, all these are the work of one spirit of one and the same spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. So what we're finding is that the Holy Spirit is going to determine who he's going to flow the gifts through. Everybody can sign off on that, right? Because the Holy Spirit is the possessor of the gifts. He is the governor of the gifts. We don't control the gifts of the Spirit. If you did, probably all of us would love to have the gift of healing. We'd go clear out, go in that medical center in short order, right? The Holy Spirit is the one who manifests the gifts through us. We'd all love to have the word of knowledge all the time. Sometimes God will use me in the word of knowledge, and sometimes I can't find my car keys. Come on now. Lord, where's the word of knowledge? I've looked all over the house for my keys, and I can't find them. Be great. We, just, we, just, we, we, we don't control that aspect of it, right? So the Holy Spirit is the one who possesses the gifts. He's the one who governs the gifts, now, 1 Corinthians 12, 30 says this. Paul was asking some rhetorical questions. What's a, what's a rhetorical question? He's asking a question that he already has the answer to, right? And he's, and he's asking this question in 1 Corinthians 12, 30. Do you all have gifts of healing? Well, you can probably say no. Do you all have speaking tongues? No. Do you all interpret? So he's basically making the point is not everyone is going to flow in the gift of healing. Not everyone is going to speak in tongues. Not everyone is going to interpret tongues. Now, let me offer you a bit of, of my understanding of this particular passage, right? I believe the tongues he's speaking of here are the prophetic tongues. I would do all speak in tongues, no, do all interpret tongues, no, because those two things are put together, tongues and interpretation of tongues, which we'll see in a moment is one of the different aspects of, the, of that gift, right? We'll get back to that in just a second. Of course, everybody is not going to do all things. I could say to you, not everyone eats haggis. You say, probably not. How many have eaten haggis before? Nobody in the room has eaten haggis. Oh, we got some haggis, right? One of the delicacies in the Scottish Highlands is haggis, right? It's mutton squeezed into some intestines and boiled and you eat it, right? Not everyone's going to eat haggis. That's, that's true. But I guess what? If you want some, you can have some, but not everybody's going to eat it. It's obvious, right? Not everybody's going to get it, but just because that statement is there doesn't mean everybody can't or shouldn't or shouldn't seek it. Right? We don't want to use this particular verse as an excuse to say, well, God doesn't want me to have this. Because we already have permission from Scripture to pursue eagerly all the gifts of the Spirit. And we would not be invited into something that God is going to just arbitrarily withhold from us. Right? And we're going to see in a minute why that's the case. All right. There are two functions of the gift of tongues. One is a personal prayer language, which we'll focus on tonight. And the other one is the prophetic tongues, the prophetic dimension of the gift. So there's two forms of the gift of tongues that Paul teaches us about, a personal prayer language and a prophetic tongues or the prophetic dimension of that. So just for a second, we're going to talk about the, the prophetic dimension of speaking in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14.3 lets us know that, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. So we find out with prophetic tongues, when they are interpreted, they become prophecy. 
right? They become prophecy. So when tongues are interpreted, now it is prophecy coming forth. And the purpose of prophecy is to what? Strengthen, encourage, and comfort other people. That's what it's for. Now, the first time we see this is in, is in Acts chapter 2. You remember the story. The, the Holy Spirit fills the upper room. Tongues of, as a fire began to rest on each of them, and they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. So God begins to encounter them with this gift of speaking in tongues. Now, I believe what was happening in that moment while they were still in the room, I believe they were all manifesting the personal prayer language of speaking in tongues first. I have a reason for that, I'll tell you later. But I believe that's what it was, because it was, it was all happening while they were sitting down, right? They're all sitting down, they're speaking in tongues. God is encountering them in power first. And then they begin to go out from that place and they are speaking in tongues and all those that are around them from the various nations that are there for the Feast of Pentecost begin to hear them in their own languages. Now for a long time I thought they were hearing the gospel preached in their own language because they were preaching the gospel through the gift of tongues. But that's not what they were hearing. That's not what Acts chapter 2 says. You know what they were hearing? They were hearing them declaring the wonders of God and the marvels of God. Now, Peter would get up in a moment and preach the gospel, but what they were hearing were the wonders of God in their own language, the mysteries of God being revealed to them. So there was no telling what they were hearing. We don't even know. We know the apostle Paul was caught up into the third heaven and heard things that his words could not even express. So they were hearing some heavenly interpretation at that moment in time. But we find that happening in Acts chapter 2 for the very first time. To encourage and strengthen and comfort the body of Christ. Now what we want to, when we think about prophetic terms, uh, tongues, we want to preserve the credibility of this particular gift. One of the things that's happened in the body of Christ that Paul, when he is writing, if you, if you, if you ever just sit down and you read the book of 1 Corinthians from chapter 1 to chapter 15 and you read it all in one sitting, you're going to pick up very quick that Paul has this kind of corrective tone to him, right? He, is, he loves the Corinthian believers, but they got really excited about all the benefits, and he's like, listen, guys, I'm so glad you're excited about all these gifts, but now I'm going to explain to you how to use them. Paul is not against the gift of the Spirit. He's not mad at them, but he is bringing a word of correction to bring them onto maturity in their use of the gifts. One of the things that has happened in large parts of the body of Christ, there's been the exercise of the gifts of the Spirit with no accountability and judgment when they're being misused. And that has caused some problems. We in the Pentecostal Charismatic Church have to own that because we have not done a very good job of cleaning up our mess. Right? you got to clean up your mess. If somebody spills something on the carpet, you need to clean it up. Right? So if you have a body of believers that are operating in the gifts of the Spirit and somebody's making a mistake, what you don't want to do is not correct it. But we sweep it under the rug, sweep it under the rug, sweep it under the rug, you know, and ultimately what happens is it gets worse and worse and worse because we don't deal with issues. God says, I want you to do all things but in decency and order. <laughs> it's almost like he's given us these, these like two impossible tasks. I want all things to be done, but I want you to do them in decency and order. And you're saying, oh, God, how are we going to do that? 
We need to be instructed. So Paul is writing this letter to instruct them in the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. And they had some problems. They were getting together for their love feast, celebrating communion, and basically having too much to drink and having a big party. He said, no, that's not, what, that's not what this is about. So he is correcting them. He's also specifically correcting them in the use of speaking in tongues because things were going awry. Right? And we find out some ways to make sure it stays credible. So prophetic tongues, we find out, are primarily for the unbeliever. And Paul specifically talks about that. 1 Corinthians 14, 22. Tongues then are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. And he goes on to specify the reason there would be a message in tongues and an interpretation in any setting is to provide a miracle for an unbeliever that's in the room. Because it is a sign and a wonder. A believer doesn't need it. A believer just needs the word of prophecy straight up in their own language where they can understand it. So God will bring forth a message in tongues and an interpretation of that tongue. So somebody else in the room is saying, wow, that person just interpreted that language and that's my native language and there's no way that person can know that. And all of a sudden the mystery of their heart is revealed and they begin to see the miracle of that. So it's, it's specifically for the unbeliever to provide a miraculous manifestation of the Spirit. We had a guy in our church one time, and um, he, would, um, he would like to give a message in tongues in the, in the service, right, which is fine. We, you know, you, that's, that's accepted. So, but he would get up, and he would give a message in tongues, and he would immediately go right into the interpretation of that tongue. In other words, he would interpret the tongue he just gave. Now, that is not necessarily wrong, but that is not exactly what that's designed for because it defeats the point, right? The point of tongues and interpretation and a word of prophecy is for the unbeliever in the room to see the miracle. Why not just give the word of prophecy in English and dispense with the tongue part? So, I, and, and I'm, 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 I like order and stuff like that, so I pulled this guy to the side and said, brother... Um, this is really what this is for. So I'm, I'm, what I'm asking you to do is if, if God moves this gift in you and you give a message in tongues, just wait a minute. Just, just wait and see if God might use somebody else to give the interpretation. Because one might say, if there's not an interpretation, well, we really can't move the service forward until there is one. So let's just, let's just you know, wait a minute, and then God might use you to interpret your own tongue if nobody else does it. Everybody kind of follow me? So sure enough, next Sunday rolls around in true form. He pops up. He gives a message in tongues, and he immediately begins to interpret. And I said, uh, stop, please. Because I told him I would. Right? I said, stop, please. Let's just hold on one second. Let's see if God will use somebody else. And guess what? He, he stopped, and sure enough, somebody sat in the back. God used to give really, I thought it was a very powerful message that day, and, in, and interpretation of, of that very tongue. It actually worked. Now, let me ask you something. What became of that guy you think? Never saw him in church ever again. Because he got offended and he left. You see, when we begin to correct and train up in righteousness, some of us in the church don't like that. Right? But that's absolutely necessary to do. All right? They're a sign for the unbeliever. That's what makes it a miracle. The next aspect of this gift is there's a, we have to do it in love. You operate in love. 1 Corinthians 13, 1, if I speak 
in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So that means if there is prophecy to come forth, tongues interpretation becoming prophecy, if it's not done in love with the backdrop of love, there's something wrong with it. And it needs to be called into question. I've had people come into church before, I have a prophetic word, I'm going to tell you what's wrong with your church. I'll never forget that. I'm going to tell you what's wrong with your church. I said, brother, I already know what's wrong with the church. My list is probably longer than yours. Do you have some solutions? Right? But it's just like this, 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 this absence of, of love. And it's not a mistake that in Paul's letter to the 1 Corinthians, that 1 Corinthians 13 is tucked right in between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. That talks about the gifts. And love is tucked right in the middle. It's the white part in the Oreo cookie. And that's, that's, the, that's the deal. Without love, it ceases to be valid. Right? We discern, is this being done in love? It must be done in love. You operate in love. 1 Corinthians 14, 23, interesting verse. It says, so if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Right? So you can, you, can, you can kind of reverse engineer that passage and you can imagine what's taking place in the Corinthian church. Everybody is showing up and they're speaking in tongues, right? Perhaps they're speaking in tongues to each other. They're getting up and they are preaching in tongues. It is just a tongue fest. And Paul's saying, listen, this is not what this is. Because people will show up and they'll think you're all absolutely crazy. Paul said, that's not the witness we're trying to, we are trying to portray here. So he goes on to tell us that these things need to be interpreted. Verse, here's the thought. An interpretation must occur when tongues are spoken out prophetically. An interpretation must occur when tongues are spoken out prophetically. Now look at this, 1 Corinthians 14, 27. If anyone speaks in the tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, let the speaker, that the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. You see, like, I mean, this is, this is really pretty good order here, isn't it? In other words, if somebody gets up to speak in tongues prophetically one at a time, and you better make sure there's an interpreter there to interpret what's being said. Because we're operating in love and don't want people to leave confused. Do you see the order? It's crazy, isn't it? And it's not just the order. Look at what happens next. 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. In other words, that means there's actually a judgment of the prophetic word that's given. You want to clean out 90% of Pentecostal charismatic churches? Start judging the prophecies that are given. You will clean them out really quick. But Paul's saying this is how you do all things being done in decency and order. These two things need to work in tandem together. It doesn't mean we're always going to get it right, but there needs to be an effort made to do these things because it is a little bit messy, but you got to do it. It's easier to do one or the other. I promise you it is. All things, decency and order, it's easy to pick one or the, one or the other. It's easy to just do all things because that's, that's the Corinthians. I mean, it's the first church of Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Belly Circus. Everybody shows up, grab your instruments. It's Ropper Room, Sesame Street. We're going to all jump in there and have a good time and go home. All things being done. That's not right. But it's, but it, it's kind of easier to exist there 
But then there's the order. Well, we don't want all that. We're going to go to the order side. We're going to get everything right on the bulletin. Everything is going to be ironclad. We're doing this at 11.05. This is 11.10. And we are done in just under an hour. We, we, we order and structure. It's really easier to be, be in one or the other. But to do both, well, that requires Holy Spirit. That requires love, tolerance, patience, gentleness, long-suffering, keeping no record of wrongs. There's a reason 1 Corinthians 13 is tucked right in the middle there. You see, it must be, it must be judged. Because... It's a wonderful and a weighty thing to speak for God. It's a wonderful thing, but it's also a, a weighty thing. One of the habits that we Pentecostals and Charismatics have picked up over the years is this God said thing. God said this, God said that, God said this, God said that. God said, God said, God said, God said. And, and I realize most of us pick it up just because it's something we pick up as kind of as a colloquial expression within our Christianese to convey what we believe we are sensing from the, from the Lord. So it's not that there's any like probably malice in there, but it's just, we ought to think about that. When I say God said, I, I, am, I am actually putting God's reputation on the line with about what I'm getting ready to say. And that's just a big deal, right? That's a big deal. We've been entrusted with his reputation. I've had to even curb myself by saying, you know, God said, God said, God said. So I'm, I'm, when, I'm, when I am feeling like I have a prophetic word for somebody, I will try to phrase it in such a way not to protect my reputation, but to protect his reputation. So if you're in the habit of saying, God said, God said, God said, God said, because it's amazing in ministry, it's amazing how often God changes his mind. I am struck by that. God said he wants me to do this. And guess what? Six weeks later, God doesn't want me to do that anymore. I said, man, you are really calling into question the omniscience of God. God told me I'm going to marry such and such or so and so. And I said, oh, no, God told me God changed. No, I'm marrying this person. Well, I mean, who's on first? Because the difficulty is... Anytime we say God said to any spiritual authority in our life, it renders that spiritual authority useless because who am I to contradict what God said, right? So I encourage all of us, myself included, that when we do that, we need to just be mindful and say, I believe God might be saying this. I create a little bit of margin because you know what? I've gotten it wrong before. Who's ever got it wrong before? Who's ever got it right before? That's right. I mean, yeah, we're going to miss it. I remember one time praying for a lady, and I was absolutely convinced God was giving me a prophetic word of encouragement for her sister. So I'm just praying for her. I said, I just, I just told the lady, I said, man, I, I really sense there's something up with you. I mean, I was just strong. Something going on with your sister. God's what's working with your sister. And she looked at me and said, I don't have a sister. <laughs> now, I said, are you sure? Because I couldn't be wrong, obviously. But I remember thinking, oh, my gosh. Now, we try to candy coat that, right? Well, maybe it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sister in the Lord. You know, we try to cover ourselves. No, the truth is I missed it, completely missed it. But I was sure I had it, but I missed it. Therefore, when we are conveying what we are sensing from the Lord, we want to mitigate that a little bit by saying, I believe the Lord is saying, it's okay to say that. Because sometimes you're going to miss it unless you're quoting Scripture. Then you can say God said. 
all right? Not all of us in the room are prophets. Let me give you a thought. Prophets prophesy, but just because you prophesy doesn't mean you're a prophet. See, prophets will prophesy, but just because you prophesy doesn't mean you're a prophet. That's one of the difference in the, new, in the New Testament understanding of the gift of prophecy, right? Prophecy now is open to all believers, but doesn't mean you're a prophet. And don't think just because you prophesy, you're a prophet. <laughs> just be careful. Just protect the reputation of the Lord, if, if that makes sense. All right. So, before we get into the prayer language piece, there's a simple way, in my simple mind, to know the difference between prophetic tongues and prayer language tongues. Because what can happen is, some people will say, if you even hear somebody in church speaking in tongues, then that needs to be interpreted. Who's ever come from that kind of mindset? That, that, the, that the prayer language that we have needs to be exclusively between you and Jesus, and nobody under God's green earth better hear it. So if you're going to pray in tongues in church, you better keep your mouth closed and hot, like that. Because the moment it is heard by anybody around you, it just crossed a threshold where it must be interpreted. Right? Now, um, if that were the case, oh, we'd probably be in trouble. Right? And I don't believe that's what Paul is saying in this, in this verse. He's given some guidelines and he's given some thoughts. This is how I believe you can tell. And again, I say I believe you can tell the difference between prophetic tongues and prayer language tongues. It's directional. Where are the tongues aimed? It's directional, right? If I am speaking to God, right, then it's prayer language. If I'm using my tongues to speak to people, it's prophetic. So I believe it's directional because it'd be completely inappropriate for me to get up from the pulpit like that was probably happening in the Corinthian church and other churches out there that they're actually getting up and they're preaching in tongues. Paul says that is wrong. Unless there is an interpreter in the room to interpret, that person needs to be quiet, keep it between he and God, right? But there are plenty of moments, right, when a body comes together and you hear people speaking in tongues because they're not talking to you, they're talking to God. Isn't that simple enough? In other words, because Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 teaches us you are going to pray in the spirit and pray with your understanding, you're going to sing in the spirit, and you're going to sing with your understanding. You're going to bless in the spirit. You're going to bless with your understanding. And what he's talking about there is not meant just to be done in your prayer closet with just you and Jesus. This is taking place in corporate orderly worship, right? So when you hear people praying in tongues around you, don't get offended. Ah, oh, that person's praying in tongues. It needs to be interpreted. Anathema, anathema, run out the door. No, I mean, would you get offended if the person next to you was praying in Spanish? Are Ukrainian? Gloria a Dios. So you wouldn't get, you wouldn't be mad if if you didn't understand Spanish. Would you get offended if the person next to you was praying Spanish? Of course you would. That's like that's that's crazy, isn't it? So there is appropriateness as it relates to that particular gift, right? So in a corporate context, if people around us right, in an appropriate way, not exalting themselves in the presence of the Lord by getting so loud you got to quiet somebody down. Sometimes people get a little bit loud. Guess what you got to do? Mary Lana, you just need to lower it down just a little bit. You're getting too loud, right? We need to do that, don't we? Because sometimes we can get out of order. We can get a little too excited, right? And what happens when you get a little bit excited? Just calm down just a little bit. But 
sometimes in the church we don't do a good job. The answer is not to tell everybody to be quiet. The answer is to tell Joe to be quiet. <laughs> you see? But what we want to compensate, we say, everybody be quiet. We don't want to run the risk of this going amok, so we don't want to permit it at all. No, let's just, let's just correct people that get out of line in love and work it that way. And then it, that's how it's, it's meant to be done. Does that make sense? Yeah. We just got to do a better job. We got to do a better job of that. So get that. My simple definition to distinguish between prophetic tongues and prophecy, right, versus prayer tongues is which way the tongues are aimed. You see, if they're aimed to the Lord, all is good. If they're aimed to our people, it must be interpreted. I believe that's what Paul had in mind when he's communicating these truths as you begin to weigh it. Let's talk about prayer language tongues real quick. Primary purpose. The gift of tongues enables our spirits to communicate to God above and beyond our cognitive abilities. In essence, that's what it is. The gift of tongues enables our spirits to communicate to God above and beyond our cognitive abilities. We see this in 1 Corinthians 14 too. For anyone who speaks in tongues does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. And we'll get to why that's important in just a moment, but that's what's happening. Our spirit is communicating with God and it's bypassing our mind for communication to happen between us and the Lord. That's the primary reason that this gift, and we'll see why that's important in just a minute. Now, but you might be thinking, well, I'm not supposed to speak in tongues. Now listen, we've already set forth, it says to eagerly pursue spiritual gifts, right? Should you pursue spiritual gifts? Should you ask God for spiritual gifts? Should you ask God for all of them? Who has, still has a present under the tree you haven't unwrapped yet? I got some. Man, I want to get those things unwrapped. I'm not content to leave unwrapped presents under the tree. How many of you are holding on to your birthday presents from five years ago? <laughs> haven't unwrapped it. That's, that's, that's insane, right? Of course, I want, I want every gift, and I've been given permission to pursue them. Now, look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 5. We get hung up on the B part of this verse, but we forget the A part of this verse. He says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. Now, what's Paul's opinion on the subject? What does Paul want? Should we care about what Paul wants? We probably should, because his wants are actually put in Scripture. So, it seems like he wants everybody to speak in tongues. But I would rather you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. So Paul was talking about this gift. He said he wants everybody to speak in tongues if it's done the right way and you have your priorities in order. Because we know the prayer language edifies yourself. Prophecy edifies the church. Part of the problem with the Corinthian church where they, they, they become very hedonistic and narcissistic with their own gifts and they're using them for self-benefit and not the benefit of the church. Because the gifts of the Spirit remain gifts of the Spirit when you start flowing in them. They always remain gifts. Gifts are meant to be given, not to be retained. You see, one of the problems we make is we take a gift and we make them our own. No, 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 no. I am giving you a gift. It stays a gift because now you've got to give it away to benefit somebody else. It must stay a gift. The moment a gift becomes a possession, then we're getting off track. Gifts must flow out of us to benefit others. And this is what needs to happen. I want, I want you all to speak in tongues, but the greater thing is not for you to be edified, but for the body to be edified. Don't forget that because this is a love thing, not a selfish thing. So Paul's saying get your priorities in order. Now, so Paul says this, so he wants all of us to speak in tongues, and he goes on to say, 
in 1 Corinthians 14, 18, he said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. So now we're like gathering from the apostle Paul. He's saying, pursue all the gifts. I want all of you to speak in tongues. He says, I'm actually glad I speak in tongues more than all of you. It's a benefit to me. So we're kind of getting this idea, right, that it's actually a good thing and it's not a bad thing. Sometimes we can read the book of 1 Corinthians and we can interpret it in such a way that, ooh, these gifts are dangerous. They're bad. We need to stay away from that. Look what it calls things. No, that's not, that's not the message Paul's trying to convey. It's actually a good thing and we should want it and we should seek them all. Make sense? All right, a few opening statements here or just a, just a few thoughts to lay out some disclaimers as it relates to this gift. It is my belief that the Holy Spirit will make the gift of tongues available to all that ask for it with sincere motives. I believe that. I believe that God will make the gift of tongues available to all those who will seek it with the right motives. I believe he's, he is not going to withhold that from those who would seek it. Now, you can take me out and beat me later, but I believe that to be true based on the scriptures I just read based on the invitation from Jesus himself in Luke eleven thirteen, if we then though are evil and how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our loving Holy Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? James says we have not because we ask not, right? And sometimes we don't we may ask, but we ask with our own motives and then we and, and then we don't receive. So therefore, hungry hearts, God's just not going to deny if we really want it. Now do you do you have to? Of course you don't have to, right? Next thought, tongues is not a requirement for salvation. I don't think anybody in the room believe, here believes that, but there are parts, there are some folks in, in, our, in our stream of Christianity that actually believe if, unless you speak in tongues, you're not truly saved. Can I tell you, that is unequivocally wrong, right? It has nothing to do with salvation. It's not a requirement for salvation. Another thought, speaking in tongues is not synonymous with spiritual maturity. Some of the meanest, bitterest, vilest Christians I've ever met spoke in tongues. True. Some of the most godly, virtuous, fruit falling off of them never spoke in tongues. Because gifts are given, they're not earned. They're not a status symbol or a merit badge that you've achieved the next level. One of the indictments I have against many Pentecostal charismatics is that they wear the gift of tongues like they just got their bear badge in Cub Scouts. I just got to the top. I speak in tongues. It has absolutely nothing to do with maturity. It's a gift. Gifts are given. They are not earned. Understand the difference? Or they wouldn't be a gift. Gifts are given. They are not earned. So just because somebody speaks in tongues does not mean they're super Christian. Just because somebody does not speak in tongues does not mean they're lesser than someone who is. Get that in your mind really, really, really clear. Because there's a lot of arrogance in the Pentecostal charismatic community. Sometimes obvious to them, sometimes not so obvious. Sometimes conscious, sometimes unconscious. But I've seen it, I've felt it, I've smelled it, I've actually been a part of it. I remember one time writing, I mean, it grieves me to say that I remember one time when I was, um, when I was in college, I was leaving my little Pentecostal church where I was an associate pastor of, and I was 
riding by this Baptist church. And it a, I mean, cars were just packed in the parking lot. It was like totally full. And I remember I actually said this. I said, well, look at there. They're full, but at least we got the spirit. Oh, isn't that icky? But I'm not alone, am I? <laughs> I bet there's some fellow tongue talkers in the room. At one point in your life, you may have had the same thought, you know, about Catholics or Baptists or Methodists or whatever, right? Because you spoke in tongues, you felt like you had more. No, listen, that is not, <laughs> that's horrible, right? And it's absolutely not true. It's absolutely not true. All right, 1 Corinthians 14, 2. Speaks mysteries, speaks to God. It's a unique language for worship and prayer. Now let's get to the heart of this. Sometimes before we get into the what, we need to understand the why. If all we focus on is the what, we can get very myoptic. We can get very religious sometimes. But we need to focus on why. Why does this gift exist? Why did God in his infinite wisdom, provide a gift of the Spirit that serves as a personal prayer language. What was in his heart? Why did he do that? What was his reasoning? Why does he want us to have this gift? Because we can get lost and we can like argue the what all day long, but it's the why that makes the what make sense. If we don't understand the why, the what's going to be kind of doesn't make sense or we can kind of take it or leave it. So why did God give us that? Well, we need to back up and ask ourselves another question. I mean, what does God want? What's he after? What does God want? Have you ever thought about that? What does God really want with you? What does he want with me? Why are we, why are we even here? <laughs> what's, the, what's the purpose? Did God make you and, and did God, you know, make me just to get some things done? To give us his honey-do list and say, here's some things I want you to do? Is that why we're here? Because God somehow can't get his own laundry list accomplished? That's probably not why, right? I mean, God can do a lot better job than, I mean, surely we don't think that God who spoke the universe into creation actually needed me to do something? Needed me to move a rock from here to there? No, why did God make us? He made us for relationship. We've said this in the past, but it bears repeating. All of us in the room want to do God's will, but the truth is we are God's will. That's the greater revelation. I've never met a Christian that said, I don't want to do God's will. We all want to do God's will, but the greater thing is that we actually are God's will, and God made us for relationship with him, that we might know him. I like to think of it this way. You know, God didn't make me to do something for him. God is doing something, and he invited me alongside. See the difference? That's not just a nuance. That's a dramatic change of thinking and perspective, Right? God didn't make us just to do something. God made us to join him in what he is doing. Because it's all embedded in true relationship with him. Listen, I lived 80% of my Christian life just trying to, trying to, trying to you know, do something for him, but not do something with him. He made us for relationship. So then, doesn't it make sense then <laughs> that God is going to give us some gifts that's going to enhance our relationship with him? How many of you are married? Anybody married? Right, okay. If you're married, you know this to be true, that, that, that two of the greatest problems in marriage simply revolve around communication and finance, typically. Communication typically being on the top of the list. 
Communication, breakdown in communication is what destroys marriages or erodes marriages quicker than anything else. Can I tell you, did you know we're in a, we're in a marriage? That we're actually a, a bride and, 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 and he's a groom? And that same principle in your marriage also applies to our marriage with him? That the greatest thing that we have to cultivate is communication in our marriage with him, just like our marriage with our spouse? So it makes sense then that God is going to give us a gift that's going to enhance our communication with him. We get an inkling of this in Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So you find out, ever been in that place where you didn't know how to pray or didn't know what to say? The like, confines of human language is just too constrained. You didn't know what to say? But God says, I, I can actually help you. I can actually help you with that. I can help you to know what to pray because your mind can't contain it all. So how many of you had children before, babies? Anybody had a baby? Babies in the house, you know what I'm talking about? Okay. So do you remember when your little baby first began to communicate like ooh ga ga goo goo ba 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 na 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 all that stuff. Remember that? Isn't that, like, isn't that precious? Let me ask you a question. What language is that baby speaking? What, I'm just curious. What, 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 what language is it? Baby talk, right? Right? We don't know what language mean, is it. I mean, is it a known language? No. It's not a known language, but is the baby communicating verbally? But is it a known language? Ah, right. In other words, the baby is communicating with a verbal language that's echoing from his heart and not his or her little head. You see? Now, I knew my, I could watch my wife because my wife could interpret that. She knew exactly what that baby talk was. It was either a hungry it was either mad, it was either a dirty diaper. She had it pegged because she understood exactly what was happening. It was heart communication. We all started out communicating exactly like that, communicating our heart through verbal articulation. We started out that way. But guess what happens? We begin to grow. Our mind comes online. We begin hearing people talk around us. We begin to learn the language around us. And then all that communication that used to go right through our heart, through our mouth, now begins to bypass and go right through our head. And now through our mouth, it becomes a known and understood language with certain inhibitors and limiters to that style of communication. You've all done that, right? I just don't know how to say what I'm feeling. Of course you can because human language constricts communication. Is it any wonder that Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven? Is it any wonder that says you must be born again? You have to start over as a baby, and the heavenly Father is now going to parent you. So discipleship is simply being reparented by your heavenly Father. Discipleship is not a class or a book or a course, or a degree, discipleship is basically being reparented by your heavenly father. That's what discipleship is. There's a didactic teaching aspect of that, but it's primarily relational in nature. 
So God is actually calling us back to childlikeness. Paul would later say, put away childish things, but yeah, I've called you back to childlikeness. And this is an, this is an aspect of that, to communicate with him. So you might be wondering, so I like this little example. So I'm going to introduce you to a smartphone. Who has a smartphone? This is an incredible piece of technology. Would you not agree? I mean, the engineers that came up with this, the computer software programmers, is amazing what's inside this, right? This thing is my, it's, it's my calendar. It's, it's all, my, all my email. It's pictures. It's, it's apps. All my travel plans and bookings and everything is in here. And it'll, it'll, I can even talk to people on this. It's actually... Right? This is incredible. The technology in this is absolutely astounding. Now, the programmers were really smart because the, the level of programming that took to create this was way above our level to understand it. So they created this, this, this thing here. Does your phone have something kind of like this? It has these little, you know, buttons you can push to make it user-friendly. You know what that's called? That's called an interface. Remember you know that? It's called an interface. Now, the level of programming to create the interface is very small compared to the level of programming that runs everything else. It's very simple, but it allows us in our simplicity to communicate with complexity. You follow it, right? In other words, words, the engineers were smart enough to know they needed to create something for people who are way less smart than they are, right, to use the device. So make something very simple that they can use to connect with complexity. When you think about the gift of tongues, I want you to think about it that way. Something very simple and all and, and very childlike, but it allows us to communicate with this complex, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent God that He wants to communicate with us. It's a simple interface that allows us to be able to do that. And that's what Romans 8 is talking about. It allows us to communicate with him, and it kind of bypassed this thing called the mind. Because how many of you know the mind is where the battle is? So now we can communicate with God without having to go through the war of our brain. It is a beautiful gift. It is a wonderful gift. It is a powerful gift that allows us to be able to do that, to talk to him, to love on him, to pray for others. When you don't know how to pray, you can pray in the spirit for somebody, and you're praying the perfect will of God for them in every situation. It's beautiful. I love for people to pray for me, and they're using their prayer language because I know when they're using their prayer language, they're praying the perfect will of God for me in that situation. And sometimes, sometimes you can get so full of the presence of God, you need some kind of outlet. My great-grandmother used to make collard greens. Am I from the South? Collard greens. If you're from the South, one of the best things in the world was collard greens. Man, you put the collard greens in a pressure cooker with a big hunk of like baking grease and fat back, you know. And you get that, and you get that all that stuff going in there together. And man, you you know, you that thing you boil and boil and boil. And that pressure cooker, her pressure cooker, had the little black thing on top. And 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 when it started building up pressure, you know what it would do? It would start no 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 no, and it starts start just scooting off. Right. In other words, so much pressure would build up, it needed a release valve. <laughs> Sometimes it's possible to be so full of the presence of God. 
that you just need to express joy unspeakable and full of glory to him. And the gift of tongues allows us to release the pressure and the overflow of thanksgiving to God. Just allows you to release that and not just say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I mean, sometimes you just want to say more than thank you. Sometimes thank you is just not enough. Sometimes the, the overwhelming gratitude of our heart just wants to like, oh, just lavish it upon Jesus. And there's not, a, there's not a language that can convey my level of gratitude and appreciation for who he is. <laughs> it's beautiful when that begins to happen. All right? Now, some of you are thinking, well, I, 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 don't, I don't speak in tongues. And I'm here to tell you something. You don't have to speak in tongues. Nobody's going to make you speak in tongues. If somebody got you in a corner and tried to get you to speak in tongues and you didn't want to, that was wrong. It was not done in love. And I ask your forgiveness on behalf of whoever, that, whoever did that to you. That's clearly wrong. Because I've seen that done to people before. And it's, it's, not, a, it's not a pretty picture. Right? There's been all kind of abuses. I can tell story after story after story. And it's just, and it's just wrong. Right? The gift of tongues is an opportunity for you. You can have it but you don't have to have it. Somebody once said, you don't have to, you get to, right? But you don't have to, but you get to if you want to. If you don't want to, that's perfectly okay, right? Because it doesn't make anybody that does more or less than you are, but it is a gift that will enhance your relationship with Jesus if you should choose to pursue it. It will just help because the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness in a multiplicity, of, a multiplicity of ways. And this is just one of the ways that he helps us in our weaknesses, if you should choose to use that gift, because it is a beautiful gift. Now, the question becomes in, and we raised it for some questions for the last 20 minutes. How do you receive it? This is, this is the big question that many of us have. How do you get the gift operative in your life? The first and foremost thing we have to get in our mind is you have to get beyond having to have it all figured out, right? If you're waiting to have it all figured out, you're never going to experience it. And let's be philosophically consistent. I don't know how this works, but it doesn't keep me from using it. A lot of the things that we use every day, we don't know how it works. We can't explain to you how it works. I have no clue how this works. I really don't, but it does. It works. I have no idea how the refrigerator keeps things cold. I don't understand how that works. I don't understand any of it. How the car works, how gas works, I don't understand any of it. Genetics, I don't, but I mean, but yet we use it all the time. So it's, this isn't a foreign concept. I'm just asking you to apply the same concept, right, over on this. There are certain things can only be known and experienced through our heart and not our head. Ooh, that's a, that sounds dangerous. No, Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God which transcends all what? Understanding. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, words, there is a peace that is inexplicable that has to transcend our mind, that guards our heart. I like Ephesians 3. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Look at this. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In other words, there is something that God has invited us into that must transcend understanding and surpass knowledge. It must. 
because he, com- he communicates with our heart because he's a person. That's how we relate to a person, not through our head, but through our heart. My head didn't fall in love with my wife. My heart did. Before my head did, my head still hasn't figured it out. But my heart still loves her. If my love was predicated on understanding her, we would have a very short-term relationship. I don't understand the woman, but I know I love her, right? And it's the, and it's the, and it's the, and it's the same with the Lord. So I always tell people said that, that, that are not operative in their prayer language yet. I said, all you got to do is to release the gift. You don't receive the gift. But so how do you receive your prayer language? Well, well let's get our words. Let's, let, let's get our words right here. If I'm going to receive something, it kind of implies that I don't have it yet. The first thing we got to understand, as we mentioned earlier, where are all the gifts in the Holy Spirit? Where is the Holy Spirit inside of you? So where's the gift of tongues? You already got it. Hallelujah. Isn't that great news? You may have never spoken tongues, but you already have the gift. The gift lies within the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he is within you, and you've been given permission in Scripture to pursue it eagerly. You've been told by the Apostle Paul that I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all, and I wish all of you spoke in tongues. Which, I mean, you've got permission. Green light and guardrails, right? The, the light's green. Keep the guardrails in place. Right mode is right hard, but go for it right? Ask the Lord, I would love to have this gift because I want to know you better. So how can that happen? Well, this is what I like to tell people. I say, listen, it doesn't need to be on public display. Sometimes it helps to have somebody pray for you, but it doesn't always, always require that. You know what you do? You go home. There was a lady in our old church in Dalton. Her name was Debbie. And Debbie was so fresh. You go to the altar every day just begging, I want to speak in tongues. I want to speak in tongues. I want to speak in tongues. Just, I mean, we prayed for her and prayed for her. Just, it never happened. You know, she'd get all worked up emotionally, then she'd leave and go home and feel like, you know, God didn't love her. I mean, just, it was, just a, it was like a mental mess in her, in, her, in her mind. I remember telling Debbie, I said, Debbie, I'll tell you what, dude, this, listen, this has nothing to do, right, with how much God loves you, right? There's just some, you know, roadblocks in your mind, and you're thinking you just need to overcome, and you're putting yourself under way too much stress, right? Sometimes, have you ever heard of that? I mean, ever known people that couldn't have babies, and all of a sudden, they, they like, quit even trying to go adopt two or three and all of a sudden the woman like shows up pregnant <laughs> because they're like trying too hard you know sometimes we can get in our own way I told Debbie I said Debbie do this every night just kneel down beside your bed and said Lord I would just love to have this gift Lord I would love to have this gift move this gift through me now I can tell you what God's not probably going to do he's not going to pry your mouth open he's not going to wiggle your tongue he's not going to move your larynx and pharynx all together and make a bunch of sounds he just didn't right and this isn't unusual because all the gifts of the Spirit require cooperation. God can't use me in the gift of healing unless I pray for somebody to be healed. I can sit all day long and pray, Lord, use me in the gift of healing. But if I never pray for somebody to be healed, it's impossible for the gift of healing to flow. There's got to be a measure of cooperation with what the Holy Spirit's doing. So get on your knees and you begin to pray. And I, that same advice that those two ladies gave me a long time ago, get on your knees and begin to pray to Jesus, but don't talk in English. That's all you need to know. If that doesn't make sense, right. That's the point. Because you got to get this sucker out of the way. If you're waiting for it to make sense, you're just not going to step into a lot of things that the kingdom of God wants to offer you. Right? Jesus would make this constant accusation against the people. You're ever hearing but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. You're ever hearing information but never ultimately coming to the knowledge of the truth, which is knowing him. 
So that's what I say. And just keep on, keep on trying that. If you have an expectation that says, oh, a lightning bolt's supposed to strike me. I'm supposed to quiver like a, like a, like a fish. You might. You might not. Right? Does it matter? We're not looking for some emotional cathartic experience. We're looking to access a simple gift of the Spirit to pray in. And it may sound weird, it may sound strange, and it's not about how it sounds. It's about communication that's transcending your own natural language that goes directly to the Lord. That's all it is. And as you begin to use that gift and you begin to talk to the Lord in that gift and you begin to pray for others in that gift, sometimes God will reveal to your natural mind what your spirit just prayed. Sometimes he wants. It's beautiful. I can tell you, walking in this for 34 years, if you, if you gave me the choice to pick between the gift and, and my right arm, I would say take my right arm. And I'm, and I'm not being, I'm not being uh, funny or sarcastic. or I, I really mean it. That's how important this gift is to me and my relationship with the Lord, right? So it's just, it's a beautiful gift. There's an invitation for all of us to step into experience, but you don't have to. You get to if you want to. Nobody's going to make you do it. And if somebody's making you feel bad because you don't, they are in, they're in error, and please give me their name. Because I would love to have a conversation with them. Right? Amen? All right. I know that's a lot. Let's take just a, let's take a few minutes, and we, got, we have a Mike and Niall. That's all we need because he's a fast runner. And let's, let's take just a, just a few moments and, and entertain a few questions. If I, if I don't know, I'll just I'll say I just don't know. <laughs> but any, any questions as it relates to speaking tongues? Lorna, right there. Run now, run now, run now. There we go. Well, I have encountered uh, questions like that the gifts of the Spirit has ceased. Yes, good question. So I didn't spend a lot of time on that subject. So let me answer that question this way, because that's like a, a much bigger conversation. But if there's anybody in the room that, that you've had that before and you would like to see how to get out of that, I can have a one-off conversation with you. Because that, that's, that's kind of big. But I didn't want to spend a lot of time addressing that. But yes, there are those. So what we call ourselves are continuationist. That means that we believe that things that, are, that took place in the book of Acts are still taking place today. Acts 29, if you will, right? We're in Acts 29, which things are still happening right now. There's a, there's, a, there's a segment of Christianity that's called cessationist. And cessationists believed that, believed that all the gifts of the Spirit ceased to exist when the full canon of Scripture came to be around 300 AD or, or a little before. Or they believe that all, all the gifts stopped then because now we have the Bible. Think of it this way. Special shuttle challenger, bad example. Space shuttle goes up. Right? What's the two things on the, on the side? It's called the rocket boosters. Do you know how they go up a certain level? And then what do the rocket boosters do? They fall off. That the gifts of the Spirit and all that were just rocket boosters that got the church launched, and they're no longer needed now because we have the Bible. That's kind of what they think. Obviously, I don't believe that. Questions? Anybody else? Right there. Mr. Shane. Get my cardio. So uh, can you address the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Because it seems like if I'm a Christian yes. and I have the Holy Spirit, then why yeah, would yeah, I yeah. need to be baptized? Great question. Great question. So my history um, for many years was in a Pentecostal denomination that taught this, right? 
And, and this was the phraseology, that the initial physical evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. Has anybody ever heard it said like that before? The initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues, which means in order to be filled or baptized in the Spirit, you must speak in tongues. If you do, so the problem is, so if, if, if I reverse engineer that statement, then I can say this, if you do not speak in tongues, you are not filled with the Spirit. Does that make sense? Right? I believe that is wrong. I believe it's wrong. I believe that statement can bring more condemnation, more confusion than, than anything else. It can lead to the belief that I have something that you don't have, which makes me more spiritual than you. That's why it's not true. Here's my thought about that. I believe a person can be filled with the Holy Spirit and not speak in tongues. I just believe that. Now, we find in the book of Acts, there are five occasions where this thing happened. Four of the occasions they spoke in tongues. The other, we don't know what happened, right? But I do, I do not believe hermeneutically, that means your method of Bible study, that we can impose a theological doctrine to narrative. And the book of Acts is a narrative story. It's, it's recounting what happened in real time. It's not necessarily doctrine. Now, here's my thing. What's the initial physical evidence of salvation? Be careful before you ask, before you answer. There ain't one, right? There's no initial physical evidence of salvation. There isn't one. If there was, we could all, we could tell who's saved and who isn't. So why would there be an initial physical evidence for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is a lesser experience than salvation? Why would God give us one on there and not on the other one? It doesn't make sense. So I always like to tell people this, that the question is, when you are born again, you will never get any more of the Holy Spirit than you have the moment you're born again. There's no more of him to get. You got the entire, he, didn't, he doesn't like dole himself out. You know, if I'm going to come over to your house, I'm not going to cut my hand off and send it ahead of me. And then my arm and legs. I'm not, I'm not going to send myself to your house in parts. That's kind of gross, but I'm just, that's stupid, right? You get all, he's a person. And he is inside you, and everything is, he has is inside you. So the question becomes then, it's not about how much of the Holy Spirit do you have, it's how much of you does the Holy Spirit have. See, that's the operable question, and that's the pursuit of a lifetime, right? That's not just about speaking in tongues, that's about every aspect of life. So I do believe, though, right, I do believe there, are, there is an encounter with the Holy Spirit available to all those who are saved. I believe there's that, that initial encounter with the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes when you're saved, sometimes you need more of Him. That's says be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? It's ongoing experiences with Him. The problem with classic Pentecostalism thinks, well, I was filled with the Spirit back in 1942. Well, you haven't been filled since, have you, brother? You know, we get kind of locked into the one experience and not realizing, no, this is like multiple, multiple occasions as I, as I give more of myself over, over to Him. So all that to say this, no. We all have the same amount of Holy Spirit inside of us. And speaking in tongues is not synonymous with maturity whatsoever. Another question real quick. Got a few more minutes. Over there. Run, Nile, Run, Nile, Run, Nile. Oh, what the, I'm sorry. I can't see the lights. I wanted to ask about a, a possibility of offending someone in, in a situation where God has asked you, or, or you know for sure you've got clearly from God that mm -hmm. you need to pray for someone over mm -hmm. an issue. Mm -hmm. You don't know what it really is. So you 
really would have to do it in a prayer language. Yes. I mean, in that, and unfortunately, if they don't believe the way you do, it could be offensive to them, and it could yes. cause a problem. And I'm wondering what. That's what a great, wonderful question. So uh, there, there, there are two ways to do that. Number one, and I, I've actually done this on several occasions. I've, I've actually asked the person before I prayed with them, "Hey, would you be okay if I use my prayer language to pray for you?" I've never had somebody tell me no, right? Sometimes you just got to tell people what you're doing, you know, before you start doing it, because then they might think you're crazy. But if you just take that extra 30 seconds, say, listen, I don't know how to pray for you, but, but I, I, have a, I have a prayer language. Would you mind if I pray over you in my prayer language? And I, I bet you there's a 99.9% chance. They say, sure, go ahead. Or if not, you can go home and pray with them in the spirit, you know. With not, with not even hearing, but sometimes just a little bit of explanation can go a long way and can help disarm people if it's a very unknown thing to them. Just a little explanation. All right, question there, then, then right back here, Niall. There, there, and there. She's him, and then Sweet Lady in the, in the blue. Micaiah. Tom, why do some people say that because in Acts chapter 2? Because other people, they understood the, the tongues, that tongues is specifically a known language that you don't understand, but it's a known language. So help me, so what's your question so, now? Now I'm saying, why do people say that, um, like, you know, in Acts chapter 2, yes. when people, when they were understanding them as they mm -hmm. were speaking in tongues, so now, now technically tongues is a language that can be understood by yes. other people. Why do some people gotcha. think that? Confusing? Okay, so good question. So um, I would say a person that says that you, you, are, um, you are committing isogesis. <laughs> in other words, you are, you are interpreting one scripture without looking at other scriptures. Remember, every scripture is under the weight of every other scripture, right? So I interpret scripture with every other scripture in mind. If I'm going to just isolate Acts chapter 2, yeah, you could probably arrive there, but unfortunately you have to deal with a lot of other chapters in the book of Acts and 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14 and whatnot. So that is an aspect of it, it is a dimension of it, but it's not the only expression of tongues. There's the prophetic Side where, where it's interpreted or heard and interpreted, and it's the prayer language piece of it. Good. Good question. Right there. So if we can practice praying in tongues at home in our prayer language, mm -hmm. how do we practice prophesying and interpreting in the body of Christ in a constructive way? Yeah, that's a good, good question. So back in the day, in the, in the New Testament church, they would gather in the temple and they would meet from house to house. And, and I believe that it was, in, it was in the home setting was the primary environments for the, for the gifts of the Spirit to be practiced. Unfortunately, our rooms have gotten bigger, you know, and it's just a harder thing to happen. I do believe we need to practice the gifts of the Spirit. And it's, and it's, and it's okay to mess up. And it's okay. Uh, you're, you're free to fail, right? I've failed so many times I can't keep up with it. I mean, you are, you are free to fail. So I think the context that's best for that to happen is in a small group prayer meeting or a house church. That's kind of like me. I didn't even know that was happening, but after I had my experience at 12, that's basically what I experienced for three years was that same basic group of people that we went everywhere together and we were experiencing all this stuff together. And we were practicing, for lack of a better word, on each other. So I would say in a small group setting is, is the best. In a, in, a, in a big auditorium, it's a little bit harder, and we don't want to try to squeeze everything into two hours on a Sunday morning. That's just not really feasible. Good question. Yes, ma'am. Got a few more minutes. If you need to pick up your kids, feel free to get out or my wife will be mad at me. How do you know if you have an interpretation to give? Oh, that's a great question. How many in the room has, has um, anybody in the room that, that you have been used 
more than once or twice in the gift of interpretation of tongues. Anybody in the room that you, that you, that you would say, all right, Lorna, stand up real quick, and I want you to answer that question in less than, in less than a minute. How do you, what do you sense when God is using you to interpret yeah. a, a, a me message it in was tongues? Like something, for me, it's like a, an impression. I was a baby Christian when the Lord gave me, so I knew nothing about interpretation. But when I heard somebody speak in tongue, I'm like, wow, there's an impression in my heart that I have to say something. It's, it's almost like you can't stop it. It comes out. Yeah, a prompting. You get this. I know for me, it's only really only happened on probably three or four occasions, you know. And what happened to me was this, it was almost like a wave of nausea. If I remember, just this, this sense of like, oh, I, I, think, I think I know what this is, you know. And my mind doesn't know. My mind only may have the first couple of words. And then I began to say it. And then it just begins, it just begins to flow. It's a, it's a very clear prompting. I don't think in the moment you're, you're going to wonder if this is it or this isn't. You're going to know it. This is what this is. What you have to overcome is a spirit of fear will try to jump on you, right? And you'll be like fearful. Oh, I can't. I, I, might, I might be wrong. Yeah, you might be, but it's worth, it's worth it right? It's just a real prompting of the Holy Spirit inside you. I know exactly what that person is saying. That's good. Great question. That's one that's not, 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 not asked very often. Just a couple more and then we've got to be done. Anybody else? Good stuff. Yeah, yeah. One day, Melody, you have one too? Okay. It just didn't, you know, when he asked about baptism of the Spirit, can yes. you explain the being filled with the Spirit, yeah, that's a big the one. baptism of the Spirit, yeah, yeah. and coming upon of the Spirit? Yeah. Probably not, not, not in 30 seconds. <laughs> but there is difference. There, there is a difference. Because G, when we are saved, Jesus, Jesus ultimately will baptize us in the Holy Spirit. In other words, he, the Holy Spirit comes into our heart. The love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. So when we are born again, the Holy Spirit comes into us right? Everything going forward is the Holy Spirit flowing out of us. So we're not looking to receive anything. We're looking to release all that God is doing and stuff as we yield ourselves more and more to him. I like to think of it like a, uh, like a um, carpenter's belt, you know? Like, I mean, I may be wearing a carpenter's belt with like, lots of tools in it, you know? And um, there, there are some tools that I haven't even used yet, right? And, and, and I need to use all my tools. It's kind of dumb to try to Ever tried to nail a nail with a pair of pliers? I mean, you, we've all had to face that. It's not, and, and, you, and then you look down and you, oh, I got a hammer in there. Why am I using a pair of pliers when I have a hammer? And I believe part of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is to say, hey, I got, I got something for that. I got something for that. Pull the hammer out. It's like way, 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 way better, you know, to use the, the equippings that God has given us to use. Anybody else? This has been so good. I love this stuff. Dave, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Right. Now, I would say for most people, that would be their experience, that they have had an experience right, you know, subsequent to their salvation was an encounter with the Holy Spirit. We, we see this in the book of Acts with the, um, in um, Ephesus, I believe, when they, when you know, Paul and they, and they came to preach the gospel. And they say, you know, we've, we've only been baptized into John's baptism, right? Yeah. Unto, re, unto 
repentance. Then they baptized them in the name of Jesus Christ. They were born again. And then it says they laid their hands upon them, and then they received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues and began to prophesy. So I think, I think, the, I think there are experiences with the Lord that are very powerful that are, that are after salvation. But I don't believe it's always just one and no more. I believe there's a successive amount of ongoing encounters. So I would answer that question kind of yes and no. You know, yes in the sense there's always more of God after salvation. You know, and you know, sometimes the first experience with the Holy Spirit can be pretty dramatic. You know, it can be like, wow, I've, I've experienced something that I've never experienced before. But that's not the end. That's actually the invitation into a beginning of more and more encounters with the Holy Spirit. So I think there can be an initial experience of the Holy Spirit, but I also think it, I think it can happen at one time. I think, I think a person can be, can, be, can be born again and feel the Holy Spirit in the exact same, exact same moment, but that doesn't mean that the person should not continue to seek ongoing encounters and being filled with the Holy Spirit. So I resist a little bit. You hear my resistance in that? I resist some of the Pentecostal doctrine that gets sort of kind of wrapped up in the, in the one baptism of the Holy Spirit experience, and, and there'll be no other experiences like that one. I just think that's just like the, that's like the doorway into so much more. And, and, and I, wouldn't want to put my, I wouldn't want to put my anchor down on that one experience and deprive me from everything else the Lord wants to do. Jenny, that's great. Thank you. Great. Good question. Um, you've, you've done a really good job tonight. Just wanted to say thanks. Um, have you ever seen a physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit? I've heard some people say that they've seen fire, et cetera. Yes. Have you ever seen in Acts, it says that they saw there were fire tongues of fire above their heads. Have you ever seen a physical manifestation? I've never seen a physical manifestation like that. I've seen over my years quite a few demonic things that's happened, you know, over the past. And uh, just early in the year, I had something happening that's never happened before. I was, uh, I was, I was in a prayer meeting and the room was uh, cold. And after this, we got, we got to be done. Um, I was, I was, I was in the room and it was, and it was cold. I had my coat on. It was probably February um, of this year, actually. And I was, and I was, um, and we were praying, and all of a sudden, I started getting really hot. I was just like, I was like on fire. And I had to like take my coat off. I'm starting to sweat. Nobody else in the room is sweating. I mean, the presence of God is just so heavy, and I am just sweating, right? And I feel God so strong. There's this euphoric sort of sense. And, um, and then it kind of eased off, and I put my coat back on. Now, you think, well, that's not, not remarkable. But then I had to hurry to a birthday party, right? I walked into the birthday party, walked into the kitchen, a lot of people are gathered, and everybody looked at me and said, have you been smoking? And they had no idea, they, they said, I smell smoke all over you. One smoking cigars that day, so uh, it, was, it, was, it was what was going on, you know. So to that point, yeah, God does all kind of supernatural, amazing things like that, so yes. So this is really good, listen, let's do it again, all right? Hey, let's all stand, and let me just pray over us as we... As we go out, Father, thank you for your goodness, for your grace. Thank you for the charismata, God, for the gifts that are to be moved through our life. I pray, God, Lord, if I said anything tonight that misrepresents you in any way, Lord, let those words fall to the ground and die. Holy Spirit, we just want you. We just want you. We want to see all the green lights that you give us to pursue you. We want to see your word as the guardrails to protect us. 
and we want to move forward in all that you have for us. We love you, Jesus. We want to know you better. And I pray, God, for those that are hungry for you, that, Lord, you never turn away the hungry. (laughs) You never turn away the hungry. So, God, let us pursue you that we might love you more deeply and truly be a first commandment, first people. Loving you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, that is what it's all about, God. We bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless.